So, does this podcast make my butt look big? Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 16 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel we have Aaron Frost. Hello. Joe Eames. Hey everybody. John Papa. Hey from sunny Florida. Lucas Rubelke. Hello from Phoenix. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and we've got a few special guests. We've got Misko Hevery. Hello. Brian Ford. Hello. Brad Green. Hi everyone. And Igor Minar. Yes, hi there. So we kind of did an impromptu extra episode here. Uh, it'll come out on the normal schedule, but there's been a lot of discussion about what's coming in Angular, and there's been a little confusion about Angular 1.3 and Angular 2.0 and just, you know, what's coming down the pike. So we thought we would bring you guys on and just talk about it and make sure that we and the rest of our community understand what we're looking forward to in the new versions of AngularJS. Do you guys want to just give us a brief introduction or a brief discussion over, you know, what's coming in Angular 1.3 and 2.0 and where you've seen some confusion maybe? Sure, I, I can start. So with 1.3, we just released 1.3 about two weeks ago, is it now? And 1.3 was a big milestone for us. Uh, we put in quite a few good features, but the main one was really a lot of work we've done on performance. We uh, wanted to fight some some of the misconceptions about Angular and, and show that Angular can be actually pretty darn fast, and many of the things we are doing and the abstractions we have in the framework are pretty solid. And I, I think we proved that pretty well in 1.3. So performance is one of the huge features. There is a whole bunch of other ones. We've done the form validation and the way the forms binding work. Uh, we've done stuff on accessibility and a ton of features that just make developing with Angular easier and more enjoyable. Now, I should mention that we covered a lot of these things at NG Europe last week, the week before last. <laughs> and we'll have all of the videos up on our site by the end of the day. But you can find them out on YouTube right now under the NG Europe account. And I think a couple things to, to look for are not just the things we had in 1.3. Then in our keynote, we talk about it. But there's a deep dive that Brian and Jeff did that talked about specifically how much faster particular pieces are. And some of the developer ergonomics bits we added just to make it nicer to work with Angular. There are some things outside of the Angular core that we're even just excited about. One of them is material design, this new UI toolkit and interaction design patterns that we're supporting as a, as a separate library. And then there's some fun stuff with our partners that we talked about supporting mobile as well. Yeah, I think it'd be important to note that we're trying to, rather than add more things to Angular core, build up new modules for new features. So I think that's really cool to think about what's coming with 1.3, what's already here with 1.3, and what's coming with 2.0. If I took a stab at 1.3, the main features sound like there's a lot of performance stuff under the covers that you can do. Uh, there's the bind ones features, there's the ng model options, there's ng aria, ng messages. Uh, am I missing any other main features in 1.3? It's really the performance and the, the work we've done on binding. Um, there's a lot of the stuff we've done around defaults. So many features we had in Angular were opt-in before, and now they are just available to you without you know having to know about these. Are you thinking about something particular? Is there something that you particularly like about three? My favorite feature is bind once. <laughs> why? Tell me why. Oh, just because that's probably the number one thing I have people ask me about that is a little bit difficult to address 
you have to kind of like do something a little bit smarter. You got to know Angular a little bit better than maybe uh, people will typically have known it after a few months. So with bind once, it's easy for somebody that's really new at Angular to still be able to put together a performant piece. So I would like to challenge you on this because like when we originally started working on one-time binding in Angular, we thought of this as a performance enhancement. But with all the other work we've done on, on the parser and the dirt checking, it actually turns out that the whole one-time data binding is not as relevant or as impactful as, as people would think. Mm. And where it brings some advantages is that it reduces memory consumption. So at this point, that's the main benefit of one-time binding. If you use one-time binding, you shouldn't be using it because you won't perform an app. You should want it because you know that these bindings on a page will not change and you don't want a memory to be tied up because of something that will never change. So it's a good way to reduce memory consumption, but there are very few cases when uh, you can truly benefit from one-time binding when it comes to performance just because the rest of the system is already so fast. The reason I really love bind once is because when I did want bind once, I used to have to pull in a separate library called bind once. <laughs> so now I don't have to do that. <laughs> I kind of want to turn the conversation though back to some of the confusion that I'm hearing. And one of the things is over 1.3 and 2.0, should I bother switching over to 1.3 before I go to 2.0? Or should I just wait until 2.0 comes out? Can I mention something real quick about yeah. that, Chuck? So at Domo, we have a large app. We, we talk about how large it is, and a lot of it's singular. We made a branch with 1.3 the other day, and it just worked. Like, we were kind of surprised that there wasn't a lot of breaking. And, like, so far the app's working. The only thing that broke, surprisingly, was the directive that Papa just mentioned, which is the bind once directive doesn't work anymore. And so, um, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of stuff disappeared, but it's working and like the screens are visibly faster. And so that's for me, one of the great things is I don't think the migration is going to be super painful, to be honest with you. Yeah. And this was one of the goals of 1.3. We didn't want to make breaking changes that would uh, make migration very difficult. Like there, there are, if you look at the migration guide, there are breaking changes, but all of them are very small or are just corner cases that people don't typically see in their applications. We still wanted to document them just so that if somebody uses a particular corner case or is in particular scenario, knows uh, they know how to migrate. But uh, even though the migration guide might look kind of scary, for the most app, it should be just upgrade to the latest version and, and things should work. So having said that, if you want to make your application significantly faster, uh, for your users and you want to be on the latest code, definitely upgrade to 1.3. There is no reason to wait. I'm sure there are some applications that are in production are working just perfectly fine and nobody is in rush to upgrade, uh, upgrade them. So I wouldn't upgrade just for the sake of upgrading. But if you have a high traffic application that you want to make faster and you want to continue developing, 1.3 is the version you should be using. I mean, and other things we've mentioned about cleaning up some of your forms code. This could be very nice. The way you report users to errors can be much nicer with 1.3. The ARIA bits we added. And then if you're interested in taking advantage of the new router that we'll be building and the material design components, those are all things that you get in 1.3. So kind of like Igor was saying, if there's apps that work fine and you are not don't want to invest a lot in them, then maybe not. But yeah, 1.3 can give you a lot of advantages if you're actively developing an app. 
So if you guys wouldn't mind, I put this out on Twitter to see, hey, what kind of questions uh, can people come up with? And one of the first ones we got here was, which is related to this topic, is if I'm just starting with Angular, it's from Brun J. Swick. If I'm just starting with Angular, where should I put all my time right now? Guessing 1.3 since 2.0 is not out? Yes, absolutely. Like 1.3 is the version we want people to use today. It's the best Angular we have. It's fully supported. We have a dedicated team of people working on it, you know, listening to uh, bug reports and fixing issues. There are features that are still coming to 1.3. So, like, some people say that 1.3 is dead or is obsolete. That's absolutely not true. We have so many applications here at Google. Like, just at NG Europe, we announced that we have over 1,600 applications at Google built with Angular. And these applications are moving to 1.3. Most of them, not all of them. For some, it just doesn't make sense. But to keep 1.3 going, and if you're starting with Angular, 1.3 is definitely the way to go. 2.0 is still work in progress. It's a moving target. It's too early to even like spend significant time on it. Unless you want to be part of the discussion and shaping the future of Angular, then you're welcome to be part of this. Another, just a following question that I've seen around this is, how do I prepare myself for 2.0? And what kind of help are you guys going to provide in helping me migrate? And although we've heard it a lot, we don't have an answer. And the big part of the reason is the 2.0 isn't done. And so we can't build a migration path to the city that doesn't exist yet. And this is something we'll work on as we get closer, as we get some real bits implemented in Angular. And as Igor said, like real development should be on 1.3, but come join us on the discussion around 2.0 if you want to help shape that. I do have some like concrete ideas for how we'll be able to migrate migrate apps from 1.3 to 2.0. So one of the big things is we'll be releasing a separate routing module, which is something that I'm working on. And that will be almost exactly the same code in Angular 2 as in Angular like 1.3 or, or an Angular 1.3 compatible module. Some other things is like we're going to continue working on Angular 1.3 and we'll be you know f- fixing bugs and trying to see what the best practices are there. And one project that I'm working on is called Angular Hint. And so I'm going to continue adding more kind of checks in there that, that try and tell you whether or not something that you're doing is like a bad decision architecturally, um, if it's something that, that I can detect. So, um, Ooh, I want to hear are... more about that because I'm building something <laughs> like that for, uh, for my own stuff. You're building something like what? Uh, like an Angular Hint, like a linting tool. So I'd love oh, okay. to talk to you. Ah, okay. Yeah. Just uh, an aside, I presented about this at NG Europe, but it's a, it's a runtime hinting system. So one of the interesting things is it can detect more things than something like JS Hint or JS Lint could. And there's a whole talk that I gave about that, and I don't want to spend too much time here. But um, I think this is something that I can continue to extend as we figure out what the ways that Angular 2 is going to be different than Angular 1. So that way you can kind of guide yourself along architecturally so you're not building your app in a way that's too different than Angular 2 will be. So the question that I have is, I think 1.3 is excellent, just the performance and the, and the new features. And somebody coming into AngularJS now is, I would definitely recommend, start with Angular 1.3. You know, it's never too late to start building awesome things right now. But from kind of a pragmatic business case standpoint, are there any concerns starting with 1.3 if you're building an application that has, let's say, like a five-year life cycle that you need to support? Yeah, not only that, but say something that you expect to be pretty big in size by the time 2.0 comes out. So, I mean, did we talk already about backwards compatibility in 2.0 versus 1.x? I think we can ask about that 
in a minute. But yeah, I mean, if, if you've got a long life cycle project, you know, should you start with one three now or are you better off, you know, holding off or making another decision? And I think where this question comes from is a lot of enterprise and business type developers, you know, they've got managers and leaders looking at them saying, Hey, if we're going to bet on this thing, because they're used to the world where they can build an app and let it live for five, 10 years. Now on the web, that might not make sense, but still the questions are being asked. So how do you guys respond to that? This is a good question. This is Brad, by the way. And we have a lot of similar apps here at Google. We've kind of maybe a couple different categories of the way we deal with them. What one thing to think about is that the web is backwards compatible. So even our 1.x or 1.0 Angular code, if you have an app written in it, it will work forever, supposedly. That, the web may change, but that's how things work today. So even if you're on 1.2 or you decide to go to 1.3, th- these things will work. As Igor said, we've got a team who's going to continue to support 1.3 and fix bugs, and there will be there are even some some kind of sizable features that will come in that still aren't done yet. At Google, we have maybe a, maybe a couple different categories of apps. Some are like we talked about earlier, apps that run fine. They don't have a dedicated team that are going to actively develop them. It's basically just bug fixing because it it serves the need. And some of these are our internal apps, and maybe some of these are our lower traffic external app. Then there are the projects with active development. And these are candidates for possibly like upgrading to 1.3, never moving to 2.0, because this is going to be, it's, it's a large app, lots of lines of code, and we're going to maintain it on the 1.3 base. There's other folks who will want to take advantage of things that we're developing in 2.0 that will want to undergo the cost of migrating to 2. And we actually don't know what that cost is going to be. We're going to work on the development plans and tools going forward as soon as we know what 2.0 end state looks like a little bit more. But so in this category, you know, what should I do right now? If I'm thinking that, yes, I have an active development and I will want to go for 2.0, really, like we've said, there is only 1.3. There's nothing to develop on top of 2.0. The thing that we're going to do to help right now is to make our activities really visible. And so we're doing talks like this. We invite all of you folks to ask us when you have questions. And then there'll be other forums and our GitHub repository on Angular slash Angular is the place where you can see a lot of this activity and weigh in on the issues that we raise there. So, Brad, I had a question. Um, you're talking about long-time support for 1.x. Do you foresee like a 1.4 release eventually? Like, is it that kind of like long-term or is 1.3 kind of the end with with some addition of, of a couple extra features? Igor here. So it, okay. it, I think it's too early to tell. There is a possibility of 1.4, but I don't want to commit to 1.4. We definitely want to add features to the 1x branch, and some of them are pretty significant, like we're looking into better internationalization, for example. I'm not sure if this will require changes in the core. If it will, we'll probably go to 1.4. If not, maybe we'll just keep on bugfixing 1.3 and adding all these extra features outside of the core. We'll see. It's really too early to tell. And also depends on the internal needs uh, from Google and, and some of our other partners. We have these discussions with teams that use Angular, and depending on their needs, we, we adjust our plans. Some of this is in the support for material design. And this is actually not a small thing. This is actually a, a giant push. And I, I'd suggest maybe go t- check out the NG Europe talk that folks did. We're actually going to need to upgrade. We're going to need to pull in this new router that is our 2.0 router backported to 1.3. And there'll probably be some changes to animation coming to support this better as well. So this sort of Google-wide effort to get on the same UX standard 
is driving some of this. And it's, it's a thing Google's doing, and we'll support it. I would just add to the, the question about should I use 1.3 when 2.0 is coming? If you really are excited about the, the stuff we are doing in 2.0, I think 1.3 is the best starting point for you right now. Like Even though we are going to change APIs uh, for sure, the concepts, many of the concepts will remain the same. So if you are building an application, if you are starting now, and you will want to eventually use Angular 2, Angular 1.3 is the closest thing you can start with today. So that just to, to add to the 1.3 and, and how important it is for us. That yeah. leads really nicely into another question we got on Twitter, and that is Thomas Brenz asked, if I'm going to learn Angular, what impact will 2.0 have on me and how can I prepare? So, you know, what is different? What are we gaining? What are we losing? Hi, this is Mishko here. I think the motivation behind 2.0, there's two parts. First, we wanted to make sure that we play nicely with web components. We think that uh, web components are kind of the future. We want to support them both as Angular becoming a web component, if you wanted to do it, and there's also Angular consuming web components. And this is kind of the driving factor for some of the changes in uh, templating, which we can talk about later. The other thing is we want to simplify things. And the simplification thing is, you know, a lot of the APIs we currently have are kind of, I would call them organic. They kind of grew up because as people asked for features, we kept adding them and so on. And now if you can step back and look at it and, and for example, how we get the components, et cetera, you can really rethink and say, well, actually, we can simplify a lot of things by saying, for example, a directive has both a linking function and also has a controller. How about we just make sure that everything is a controller? And then you kind of step back further and you say, well, wait a minute. This controller on a directive is really the same thing as an ng-controller, which is why we went to the direction of simplifying that part as well. So all of the things that you love are still going to be there. They're just going to be rearranged in a more sensible way and Basically, you'll be able to describe your application with a more limited vocabulary, which is always, in my opinion, a good thing. So I have a question about that. Can I still describe it the old way, like not using the ad script stuff? Can I still write it like the way I'm used to, or, or how's that going to work? That's an excellent question. Absolutely. One of the things that we have learned from doing this thing for a while is that people have a lot of reasons to do different things and forcing people to do something is just a recipe for disaster. So if you wanted to build your application in ECMAScript 5, by all means you can do so. If you want to build it in TypeScript or CoffeeScript or ES6 or any other common uh, languages, you should all be able to do that. But of course, we think that if you can do it in AdScript, we can make it even more smooth for you. But again, it is not a requirement. And so we are spending a lot of time designing kind of the backwards compatibility story so that you can express yourself in just good old ES5 in a sane way. I also get asked quite a bit about AdScript and whether it's something that is specific to Angular. And I think we need to clarify that this is not something that's specific to Angular. It's something that will make Angular development better, but you can use it without Angular. So if you want to have a language that has optional type system and metadata annotations and you want to use it in Node.js, you will absolutely be able to do that. So we're not building something Angular-specific. It has a bigger purpose. So I'm, so I'm going to paraphrase what Igor just said. And Igor, correct me if I'm wrong. To use Ascript, I don't have to use Angular. But Correct. also what Mishko said is, I don't have to use AtScript when I'm using Angular 2.0 either. Like, neither one of them are, like, requirements. That's absolutely correct, yes. Okay, cool. 
That's good because that's a big confusion that I see out there quite a bit. And one of the other confusions I see is from some of the videos that I've actually watched a couple as they've been coming online too, which is great because I wasn't able to make NG Europe. There was a couple slides in there about features that are rest in peace, some RAP slides. And I've had a lot of interesting comments from people about, hey, what's happening there? Scope is gone. <laughs> Controllers are gone. Modules are gone. But I think if I heard you right in the talk, it's not that they're gone. It's that instead of using this feature in Angular 2, you'll use this instead. Is that correct, Igor? Yeah, that, that's correct. And I kind of wish that this would work out better. Uh, I think the, the delay of uh, videos being available caused some, some kind of confusion and, and early premature reactions. Uh, because now when I look at it back, when I, when I look at the slides, I'm like, oh yeah, that looks pretty weird. But if you listen to, <laughs> if you listen to the video, like, yes, we are saying that our scope is going away, but there are reasons for it and we have a good replacement story. So it's not like we're crazy and just going on and killing features. We actually are just simplifying the APIs. And many of these concepts like scope will be there, but they will be kind of hidden. You don't have to think about them. You don't need to know about them. They will just do the right thing for you out of the box. So let me pick on one or two of those real quick, if you don't mind. Like like modules going away or rest in peace, whatever that was. It's not they're going away. It's that now you've got, the way I read that is you've got ECMAScript 6 modules. So we don't need a specific Angular module, right? Exactly. So if you look at the slide, it says uh, Angular.module and there's rest in peace. And that's exactly what it means. Like we don't need proprietary APIs to express things that we now have natively in the platform. So with ES6, ECMAScript is going to have a native module system. And I see that maybe not today, maybe not next week, but in the in the coming future, everybody will migrate over to use this module system because it will just make things much easier. It will make interoperability better. And it's just something that we need to do for Angular if, if we want to make it su- succeed long term. Like if we keep on just playing and creating these like proprietary APIs, it's going to be really hard for you to integrate third-party components that will be built in the future. But by us uh, embracing these new standards, we are going to be in a much better position to work with other code in the Angular 2 version. Uh, I just want to clarify one thing really quickly, and that is um, with the ES6 stuff, if we want to work in ES5, then we're either going to have to have some polyfill or some build step that handles that for us then. Correct. And we, we actually are working very closely with the Tracer team. Tracer is a project from Google that allows you to write ES6 code and transpile it into ES5 code so that you can get the future JavaScript running in today's browsers. And uh, Tracer already contains a polyfill for the module system, so the module loader is already in a very good shape. Uh, initially, we started with the required JS and common JS polyfills, but uh, now we have a proper polyfill for the ES6 module loader, so that, that's uh, what we'll probably end up using. So you mentioned things like, in the slide, uh, DDO for directive definitions, and you've got uh, controllers as well on that slide. Are those things becoming, are they going away because they're just basically becoming classes or components in the new version? Yes. Uh, yes, that, that's the case. Like, so really, it's less of a going away than it is a, a makeover, right? Correct. And, and yeah, like, again, if you look at the wording, like we are saying directive definition object is going away, not that the directives or the concept of directives is going away. No, and what, like Mishko kind of touched on this, like ma- many people think that when we started building Angular, we had like this grand vision and we knew all the features ahead of time that we wanted to build, but that's not the case at all. You know, Angular evolved over the last five years and community feedback has been a big part of this evolution. So 
just one example is just co the component system. Uh, when we started with Angular, there were no components in Angular. Uh, we just had templates and controllers, and we were so happy that everything just worked. But then <laughs> as we were starting to build bigger and bigger applications, we were thinking like, well, you know, we are using this thing over and over again. It would be better to just package it up. And we have these directives already, and it kind of does it, but, and I, I can build a component, but I have to do all this work. I have to use the compiler, I have to fetch the template. What if we just added it into the directive? And we did it by extending the directive definition object, so you can say, oh, I need this template, and I need all these features, and I need the, the binding to just work, and then we had a component model. But really, it was an afterthought. And like I'm saying this at the risk of being flamed on Twitter, but that, that's really the case. Like We just learned as we were building Angular, and we realized this is a useful feature. And now with Angular 2, we are analyzing all these patterns and how people use Angular and try to build APIs that are specific for these scenarios. So that you don't have to think about, oh, I have a directive that has these 20 possible options, and... For me to use it in this scenario, I have to use these five. So instead, we're going to have concept that will just do the right thing for you out of the box. So things will be just simpler. Well, I think the last big one in that slide, and then I'll turn the mic over to these guys, is uh, dollar sign scope. It said rest in peace to that as well, but obviously there's still going to be something similar to that in Angular 2. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Yeah. Mishko, do you want to tackle that one? Yes, I'm going to tackle that one. So when you have an expression, you need to evaluate it against something. And the scope is kind of the hash moment against which you evaluate it. But it turns out it's much more efficient or much easier to think about it if the controller itself becomes the evaluation context. You know, why does the controller have to put things onto a scope? Why can't the controller be the scope? Now, it turns out that historically we have tried to do that in many different forms. And this is how the engine controller came to be. And it, it, at one point was the scope. Then we changed it and became the separate thing. Then it published on the scope. Then we said the controller was as a scope. And finally, after so many iterations, we kind of hit upon us with a combination of components that really the component is the scope. Again, this is what goes back to what Igor was saying, is that we're just trying to figure this out. Now, this is not just yet another iteration. We have tried this in Angular Dart, and it fits rather nicely. So we have some good data points that basically are telling us that, yes, this is finally the, the right thing. And when you mention that, that the component becomes the scope, a lot of things get simplified in terms of how the expressions get watched, uh, how you can verify things, and so on. So we really think this is a, the right approach. I wanted to make a comment and then let uh, the Angular guys react to it. So my comment, like uh, Igor kind of touched on this, that the videos kind of being delayed created some weird reactions from the community. And I saw a couple reactions that I thought were a little weird, like uh, people really freaking out that the syntax was so weird, like so, so distinct. And like I heard things like they shouldn't even have called it Angular. And I'm like, well, it's, I mean, they were saying that like it was a bad thing. But then they also complained that the migration path, they're like, there's no migration path, like, and they were really, really mad about that when there was, it was never confirmed that there's not a migration path, path of anything. All I heard Igor say was, well, once we know exactly what 2.0 is, we'll have one. And I thought it was weird because for me, a migration path means that you're going to give me some time to let the old Angular and the new Angular live together on the same page because I can't rewrite my entire app. So for me, a migration path means I have some time to migrate. And I thought it was weird that those two complaints 
were like contradicting each other because the new Angular is so different. That's what will enable me to have a migration path. Like that's what will give me the time to where I don't have to do an entire rewrite because the syntax from the one doesn't look anything like the other. Like that's what will make it so you can slowly migrate as opposed to completely halting all progress to do a complete rewrite from 1.x to 2.0. Like, and I thought that for me, the distinctness of the syntax and the new concepts were awesome because it will make it possible for people like me to start writing new stuff in 2.0 while I'm letting my 1.x stuff still exist on the page. Like, So I was actually pretty pumped about the different syntax. What do you guys think? Well, hey, this is Brad. I think that's a good interpretation and maybe a good way to think about it. Also, just I mean, think, realize change is hard. Like, we're always in awe that so many people care about this thing. We don't know how it happened. But when we first came out with Angular 1, we had similar reactions. Everyone was up in arms that we were extending HTML syntax and that we were doing things that looked like magic in the browser with dependency injection and data binding. And it took folks a long time to acclimatize to this. And the sort of innovative nature of folks here on the team hasn't changed. And so we're going to always push the envelope. But I think the question is, how can we make this change at a rate that's digestible and is something folks can assimilate in places that they've based their livelihood on in, in Angular 1.x timeframe? And so you've also said that, yes, we, and I think we've said it too, we, we can't build the migration tools, the migration story to the Angular that's not finished, and we will work on this. And so if we can ask anything of the community is to be involved, help us understand what you need, and uh, give us a little time to develop 2.0 and then build our story for migration from 1.3. And if I could just jump in here real quick, is my career pretty much has been entirely around ECMAScript as a Flash developer and now a JavaScript developer, is this has actually happened before. So this is a real deja vu moment for me because starting with AS1, which is you know very much like JavaScript as we know it now, and then moving into ActionScript 2, which was class-based, there was a lot of the same kind of pushback. And, you know, this is hard, and we're going to have to change our apps, and we're going to have to learn a harder way to program. But as a whole, on the Flash platform, is it made for a better language and more robust applications, more stability. And it was a good thing once people kind of stepped back, took a deep breath, and moved on. And so I see it as just a natural evolution of a platform and this historically has happened many, many times across many different uh, languages and platforms is that change is hard, but I believe that ultimately it is worth it. So there's a couple questions I get quite often, and I'll say them in a nicer tone than they've been asked to me, <laughs> toning it down for children. What is up with the crazy syntax inside of the HTML with the square brackets and the parentheses and the pipe and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I can uh, comment on that. So, first of all, I wanted to say that we think that HTML should be the starting point of everything. So we're not actually creating a syntax that is not HTML. And if you look at the HTML spec, brackets and parentheses are actually valid HTML. Now, we think we might have to have a, a backup line for uh, secondary tools that won't allow you to put brackets in there, so something that's going to be all text-based. But we want to support us, uh, the, both of them as well. The other thing is we want it to be 
with syntax that is web designer friendly. So things that you're familiar with today and allows web designers to just add things to the page will still stay. But there's a couple of things we had to change. We didn't really have a choice in. And this is has to do with web components. The syntax that we have today is not web components friendly. And while it sort of kind of works, it doesn't fundamentally work. And this is the really the motivation behind these changes. So it's not like we are just changing it for the heck of it because we think the other one is different or prettier. It is that we actually have motivations with web components. The last thing is, if we're going to go through the process of changing it, we wanted to make sure that when you look at a template, you can clearly distinguish between a string literal and an expression. So today, when you look at a template and there is, it says, you know, foo equals bar, it really isn't clear whether bar is a literal that is going to be displayed to the user or it is a expression. And this all fits into the IDE support because if IDEs want to clearly annotate and color code your template, they need to know what are literals and what are expressions. And if you have an expression, they would, should be able to allow you to have a click-throughs and et cetera. And today, if you look at something like uh, ng-include, the source attribute there is a literal, if I remember correctly, or is it, is it literal, I think. Uh, but the other ones will have a expression. And this is not obvious. Like You have to know the semantics of individual directives before you can really reason about the template itself. And so by standardizing it and making it so that you can reason about the template without actually knowing what directives are present or whether a particular thing is a web component or not, it actually makes everything simpler and it allows for better IDE support. So these are the motivations for all these changes. So I have one quick follow-up question on that. This is actually my own personal question. If I'm doing like an ng-repeat, I saw we do square brackets, ng-repeat, pipe, and then the thing you're iterating, and then the close of the brackets. If I understand it correctly, you can't put a space on either side of that pipe, right? So that's part of the syntax? Yeah. So is that something that I imagine, I'm just thinking ahead, tooling would probably be able to help with and say, look, you know, you made a mistake here. Let's get rid of those spacing. And Because I know it's a different syntax than people have seen before. It is, and it's actually not even clear whether that syntax is going to stay because there are we have some more ideas that we're toying around with. One of the issues we are facing, for example, is how do we hint to IDE that a new variable just came to be? So, for example, if you look at ng-repeat, you know, you say item in items. Item is a new variable that uh, wasn't valid before the repeater, but now is a valid variable that the IDE can allow you to click through uh, and should be able to verify as well. And so, how do you hint to the IDE that, oh, by the way, I'm declaring a new variable without IDE actually understanding that ng-repeats declare new variables. You know, So if you have somebody third party who decides to write a new repeater syntax, they need to be able to hint to the IDE that these, in the process of writing this repeater syntax, there's new variables that are being created. Cool, thanks. Yeah, and as, as Mishko mentioned, the, the whole IDE story is so one, one of our like long-term goals. Um, we would l- really like to help large teams build even larger applications. This is the trend that we see at Google. When we started, the Angular apps were, you know, small and medium sized, but now we are really growing into like super complex enterprise apps. And for these apps, having good tooling story and tooling support makes a lot of sense. So this is the, the whole scalability factor is a big theme in Angular 2. And these uh, templating changes are just part of the bigger picture. So one other question we're getting on Twitter is uh, really looking for help to port 1.x to 2.0. Enterprise is worried that they are so different. And we've we've talked a bit about not having a clear migration path until 2.0 is finished or close to it. But do you have something that you can tell people to kind of alleviate this worry a little bit? 
I think the thing we've, we've said it is we will have a path and help give us some space. I, I think we don't have a particular thing and I think we don't want to tell you to do a particular thing and have it be wrong. And so stay tuned. We'll make it public as soon as we know. I'll let other folks chime in if you've got other ideas. I would like to add that when we describe these new concepts and syntax, people have this idea that they're going to have to rewrite the application from ground up. And that's nowhere close to what is going to happen here. What you're going to, what's most likely going to happen is you're going to have a set of instructions that says, you know, if you used to do A in the old system, you will now have to do B. And for most part, you know, many of these things will be able to be replaced by kind of a smarter regex, you know, like, oh yeah, this thing becomes that and this thing becomes this kind of a thing. Makes sense. So we also don't want to just tell people like lies, right? Like the point is we're making Angular 2 as good as possible and then we're going to build a bridge from 1.3 up to 2, right? We don't know what that looks like because 2 isn't done yet. So what we really want is your help in making 2 awesome in figuring out what things you want out of 2 and then we can figure out what the steps are in between. But until we have that figured out, we're not just going to say things. So I think that's that's really a good way to go. And there's there's a risk in no matter what you say. And this is where, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, and we see this in multiple products. And you've got a risk of if you tell people too much about what isn't quite there yet, then they will call you out later because it's not exactly what you said. And if you don't share enough of what you're thinking about early, people will then charge you with, well, you're not being open and transparent. So there's a balance, and no matter which way you go, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. So I, I get that. But in the same sense, what I keep telling a lot of people is, if you have feedback, tell the Angular team. Get that communication back to them and provide the feedback so they can uh, use that in a constructive way. Don't just whine about it or, you know, talk in a back room in a bar with a beer. Um, you know, get, let these guys know what's going on. And on that mind, do you guys have a preferred channel for people to provide feedback? Yes. Um, so we, we are very active on GitHub. Uh, we have a new repository under the Angular organization called Angular slash Angular. Um, you can file issues and proposals there. We will, you know, look at those and have further discussion there. The other way we can communicate is uh, we're publishing our weekly meeting notes. So uh, it's a Google Doc that we share it on Google Plus after pretty much every meeting, and you can chime in, and see what we're up to, and and comment on the doc. So it's not just reading what we did, but you can comment in the doc and tell us uh, if uh, we are missing something or we should consider something that we haven't thought of. All of our design docs and all of the research docs uh, that we put together are also open and public. So we are really not trying to hide anything. From the very beginning, Angular has been a very different Google project, for better or worse. You know, we, we always worked out there on GitHub and then pulled uh, Angular into Google, whereas many teams do it the other way around. And we found that this way we can build a better product. So by involving the community early, by getting the feedback, by getting the help, it really makes Angular much better. And yes, it's super risky for us to talk about the future of Angular, and it stirs a lot of controversy, and there's a lot of pain involved. But I still think that in long term, this openness will make the project much better than if we like prepared Angular 2 behind the scenes and then had a big reveal, hey, this is Angular 2. Happy migration. Just suck it up. This is what it is. So For, for, for what it's worth, I think it's the right way to go. I, I appreciate and like the transparency and also understand that while I may not agree with every decision you make, that it's not my call to make. <laughs> so well, but kudos you can, to you guys. You know, we want your feedback because we learned from a past experience that we have some re really good ideas 
but sometimes we miss things and people from the community come and, and tell us, hey, it's not going to work in this case, or have you thought about this in this other way? And we're like, wow, we really haven't thought about it this way. That's really cool. And you know, then you start having this broader perspective on things and eventually you end up with something much better than if we were just sitting in a single room and just give you all the answers to all the questions you might have. I have to say that uh, it's very heartening every time that you did say, we've been looking at the way people are using this and that's why we're making the decision we're making. So it's not, well, what do we think since we spend most of our time building Angular and not necessarily building apps in Angular? Though I, I know that you guys do some of both. You know, it's, it's heartening that you are talking to people, looking at the way people really do use things and then saying, well, how can we simplify this? How can we make this easier? How can we lower the conceptual burden for new people coming into the framework? I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people often think that like we know everything and we have all the answers, but that's not the case. You know, you don't? we learn. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> we learn from each other. You know, we learn from the community, and it's been amazing four years for myself, uh, just working with all these people out there and uh, sharing ideas and coming up with new ones. So I, I would like to preserve that. We've asked you guys like 45 times today. What does the migration pass look like? <laughs> and so what I'm about to ask sounds like that question again, but it's not. I want to know if, because I know that un, 2.0 is an unknown, but is there, do you guys know enough about what it will be to give us some pointers, maybe not today, but in the future about what could I write my code like today that will probably make that easier? Like an example is the way that you inject things into like an Angular controller. John Papa uses like a way different way to do injectables than I do. Is there some things, and the answer can be no, that will make it like that you foresee, like there's different style guides that will make it easier to upgrade potentially in the future? I'm working with John on his style guide and, and we are improving it and I'm providing him for the feedback. So that's a good starting point. Using the controller as syntax will likely make things uh, easier for you. And I'm trying to be very careful because I don't want to say, you know, do this because 2.0 will be much easier because maybe tomorrow somebody from the community will tell us, hey, have you thought about this thing? And we'll change everything. And then whatever I say today will not be true anymore. And you will come to me in a year and like, hey, you told me to do this and it's not working anymore. So I'm trying to be very careful. And really, like the best advice I can give you is just build the best Angular 1x app you can today build an application for your users that they will enjoy and they will benefit from. And once 2.0 is uh, more stable and we have some more concrete things to talk about, then we can figure out, you know, the whole migration story and best practices and that kind of stuff. Awesome. That's exactly what I wanted to know. Thanks, man. I have kind of a, not it's half question, half statement. It's kind of what I gathered from this discussion today, and that is, it feels like what you're saying is it's a mistake for somebody to go and say, oh, I'm about to, or I've just started building an Angular app, and now I want, feel like I want to put that off and wait for Angular 2. And you're saying that that's going to be a mistake. Absolutely, yeah. 1.3 is the best starting point for 2.0. If you are starting today, that's where you should start. You can use a different solution, but if you want to use Angular 2 eventually, I think migration from something else to 2.0 will be much harder than going from 1.3 to 2.0. Just because the concepts, many of the concepts are just preserved and the migration will be more natural and we will have a migration story for you. So as a follow-up to that, 
I go ahead and take your advice. I start building or I continue building my 1.3 app. What will life be like for me in five years? Let me take this one. I think I, uh, I summed it up in the Q&A at NG Europe very well, where I declared I am horrible at predicting the future. And I, I invite you to go watch the Q&A for my special story about my involvement with Steve Jobs and Tim Berners-Lee on that. That said, I think like the way Igor kind of put it is that we learn so much along the way, and there's no way we can know. I think you know things beyond six months here at Google seem like science fiction to us. Like at the same time, we're, we're planning for 2.0. We're going to get there with everybody involved, and so the best way to know the future is help us make it. Awesome. Love that answer. All right. Well, do we have anything else that we should talk about here? Any other questions you guys are hearing before we wrap up the show? So I think the the big things that are kind of sticking out, though, is you know we've heard your guys' thoughts on what's coming with 2.0, and kind of we talked about the migration path to, to death. But in 2.0, uh, we heard you talk about at script and things and components. What about other kinds of features? I mean, what's the main theme that's kind of coming out of 2.0? Is it mobile? Is it you know what what is the theme that you guys are focusing on? So we declared this in a blog post maybe eight months ago, where we started out on 2.0. And originally, there were a couple things. Supporting web components is a big one. We want to be taking advantage of ES6. That was a big one. We've since added AtScript on top of ES6 and TypeScript. And then mobile, yes, this is another big theme. So if you, uh, we captured this, I think, pretty well in the keynote that we delivered, and we've tweeted that out, so you can go check it. But those are the big couple ones. There will be more, and you know we may discover some more things along the way. But if you want to know what it's about, it's you know, we talked about simplification, performance, mobile. Those are our big. So what about material design? I I got to tell you, it kind of snuck up on me one day. I wasn't looking, and then I saw it, and it, it looks awesome. Is that something that's going to be there for 1.x and for 2.0? Absolutely. We're designing it for 1.3 because we can't wait. And we have so many teams here at Google that want to use it, and we hope a lot of external folks will too. The big thing about Material, if you haven't checked it out, is that it's more than just a widget tool set. It includes animation, interaction design, a full end-to-end package about the way you need to think about UI. And it's designed to be responsive, so you can build apps that scale from the desktop through mobile, and the UX concepts actually extend to our smaller form factors at Google to things like watches and cars and whatnot. And so we're incredibly excited about it. Uh, you're starting to see some of Google's apps developed in it already, and you know the new Android L release is going to embody this fully. So come join us. Another big thing that we're putting into this, besides flashing animations, is support for Aria. And I think for the first time, we have a hope to make it much easier for developers to make accessible apps. That is really cool. So I, I've got one last question. This came from Dan Wallin. Why are Igor and Brad so dang awesome? How can anyone know that? I'm not qualified to answer that. <laughs> it's unknowable. They use Sorry. awesomeness supplements in the Google cafeteria. Yeah, when is Angular going to be on Project X? <laughs> I just wanted to embarrass Brad, Igor, and Dan Wallen, all in the same sentence. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I just want to let everybody know that if you do have questions, you know, uh, I think Brad pretty well summed up where you can go and ask those. You can also add comments on the Adventures in Angular website. So if you go find this episode, you can comment there as well. And really looking forward to uh, what's going to come out in Angular 2.0 and the coolness that's already in Angular 1.3. Let's go ahead and do us some picks. Aaron, do you have a pick for us? There is a project I found that was pretty sweet. It's called Julius JS. It is a C-based 
voice recognition library that they're compiling with Emscriptum to allow you to do full voice recognition in the browser, like in JavaScript, regardless of what browser you're in. It's pretty epic. Julius JS, go check it out. Awesome. Joe, do you have some pick, a pick for us? Uh, yeah. This is uh, particularly timely with this discussion that I'm right in the middle of and getting close to finishing working on a course for Pluralsight on what's new in Angular 1.3. It'll be pretty comprehensive, working with another author as well to talk a lot about the changes, bind wants, and animations, and validation, etc. So, a little self-serving, but I feel like it's pretty topical based on today's discussion. And so that'll be my Pluralsight course on Angular. what's new in Angular 1.3. Hey, Joe, is that with uh, Deborah Carrada? It is with Deborah. She a- is awesome, awesome author. She is. Very good. Not that you're not awesome. oh come on we all know joe can use all the help he can get (laughs) you got it all right john what are your picks so obviously the picks we have to do are the you know the ng europe videos as brad says they're going to be out some of them are already filtering out there but my angular pick would be something that brian ford has helped me with recently and that's the bind to controller feature that looks like it's in angular 1.3 uh, but Brian was so kind to help me try to do a backport to some Angular 1.2 stuff. So it's an awesome feature. If you haven't read about it, definitely check it out in the Angular docs. All right, Lucas, what is your pick? My pick is the Angular material design. Um, I've just been digging it on this week. I think it's just phenomenal. So it's um, just really excited about the tech and excited to see uh, more of that just in the future and what it holds. Very nice. My pick is there's a system out there called Grasshopper. It's a phone system for uh, businesses and entrepreneurs. I actually went out and uh, set up a voicemail system for the shows. It's not quite ready to launch, but pretty close here. In fact, um, I can give out the number now and I'll have it ready next week. So if you have feedback or voicemail that you want to put in, the phone number is one eight seven seven two two three. 0342, and so you can just call in, ask questions, stuff like that, and we'll play back questions as we're ready to answer them on the show, or feedback if you have it. Um, really appreciate that. So so that's my pick. Mishko, do you have a pick for us? Yeah, so the way I uh, keep the stress down, uh, working with these awesome people around me, is uh, I go running, and uh, I finally found a headphones that I like. They're called Aftershock, and they're bone-conducting headphones, and the cool thing about them is that you have nothing in your ear, so your sweat doesn't get into them, etc. So if you guys are into running, I, I recommend those. I think you just spent some of my money. That sounds <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you wasted my money, man. Igor, what what's your pick? I have to actually. So for the past week, I've been dogfooding Android Lollipop. And guys, this thing rocks. Like, I've been using Android for the past five years, and I felt like I had access to awesome data, but the UI was not quite there. With Lollipop, things are changing. And I can't be excited more about my mobile. It's like, I just touch it just to touch it. It's so awesome. And uh, it really blew my mind. And speaking of mind, for the past few months, I've been kind of like training my mind and, and working on having better control over myself. And I found guided meditations through headspace.com very useful. So if that's something that you think you could find useful and you want to better maybe control your stress or just be a better person, just check out headspace.com. Cool. Brian, what are your picks? So my pick is our AngularJS blog post about ng-Europe and Angular 1.3. One of the cool things about that post, I think, is that it links to kind of 
all of the various documents and things that we've been, put, been putting out. So if suddenly Angular 2 stuff snuck up on you, this just links to just a wealth of different conversations that we had and kind of our brainstorming and thinking out loud and how we arrived at some of these different things. And I think it's really good. The whole Angular blog actually should be my pick because there's a lot of good stuff on there. All right. Brad, what are your picks? I like this, I think, incredible infographic that I saw on Twitter just this morning. And I think if you search for minimum viable product, you'll see this image. But what it is is the explanation about how to think about strategy and release. Because you can't release all of it at once. And most teams tend to look at which features should go into a minimum viable product. And what they draw is this nice pyramid about at the bottom you have features. It should be reliable, it should be usable, and it should connect with my emotions well. And what you should do is build not a slice through the features, but build a slice from the the bottom to the top of this pyramid. Go check it out. It's originally uh, apparently tweeted by J-O-P-A-S is the Twitter handle. Cool. Well, thanks for coming, guys. I think this will really help to kind of clarify where Angular is going and get some folks excited for what's coming up next. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. It was really awesome. Thanks. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.